Good morning. So for those of you that are not regular attenders here, we have been in a sermon series about the attributes of God for quite some time, just talking about who He is and trying to get a better handle on what God is really like, this God that we honor, this God that we worship. For those of you that are regular attenders, you may want to know that the sermon series is going to get interrupted next week. We're having a guest speaker. Josiah DeRose will be ministering at Eight Bands One Day, and he will be preaching here next Sunday. Um, so, uh, and there will be a special offering, just giving you a heads up on that. Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about the God of all comfort, and we have had another message about God of comfort in this sermon series, but I'm going to come at it from a different angle, as though that's a surprise. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we look at your word, we are once again inviting you to speak into our hearts Holy Spirit, would you come and illuminate your word that we might see it more clearly and that it might take hold more deeply within us, that we might catch a glimpse of what you're really like, O oh God, here today in this place. Have your way. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. You know, it's not unusual for me as I drive around the area to listen to a preacher, different preachers on the radio. And a while back, I happened to be listening to one who was talking about, he told a story about his, his little daughter who had found a ladybug and she took it inside, put it in a jar, made a little home for it. She was all excited. And the next day, she got up and the ladybug was dead. And she was devastated. And as I listened to the story, you know, he, he, went on, he, he stretched it out way too long. All right, but, um, and I'm not going to do that. But I, I couldn't help but think about, you know, maybe one of our kids when they were little or one of our grandkids that they would do something like this. And he said that, you know, when, when the, she, she found the ladybug dead, she cried. But to her credit, five minutes later, she's back to her normal jubilant, you know, fun self, if you will. But the point was that here is this little girl innocent little girl and she recognizes in those few brief moments that this life can be tough. There are disappointments. There are things that we go through. There are setbacks. There, there are things that even discourage us and discourage our faith that we're going to deal with in life. It's just going to happen. You've all done it. You've all been there. 2 Corinthians 1.3 again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. You know, if you want your car fixed, you're probably not going to call me. At least if, if you're smart, you're not going to call me because I'm not going to know what to do with it, all right? Anything you want repaired, anything you want fixed, if you can't do it, you're going to find somebody that knows what they're doing. You know, you might bring your car to me and I might get lucky and I might accidentally fix something temporarily, but it's not going to last. I can promise you that. So if you want comfort, I would suggest that you need to find the source of real comfort, not the, the temporary kind of comforts that we so often go after. John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Young's literal translation uses the word comforter there. But I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away, for if I may not go away, the comforter 
will not come unto you, and if I go on, I will send him unto you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send someone who's going to be a comfort to you. He's going to be right there with you all the time, comforting you. That's why the Holy Spirit came, at least in part, that's why the Holy Spirit came. Great verse from Isaiah 66, God speaking, is one who, whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You know, I don't know about your childhood, but two of the most vivid recollections that I have of my child, early childhood were of my mother comforting me when something bad had happened. One time I, I swallowed a hard candy and it got stuck in my throat, wouldn't move, and she just held me. Another time I, I burned my hand on the stove. I'm a, I'm a little kid, I think the electric stove, when the burner is orange, it must be on. When it's black, it's not, right? That kind of, yeah, I found out really quickly that that was not true, and I burned my hand and I just remember her just sitting and holding me and comforting me. And God here is saying, that's the kind of comfort I want to give to you. I want you to understand that. This is not the God that's afar off. He wants to bring us that kind of comfort. The word comfort as a verb means to make feel better. And that's a, that's a pretty common word in our culture. You know, what's the, what's the heavy blanket that's on a lot of beds? It's called, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's big, heavy, warm. It, you know, it brings some, some measure of comfort. It's not uncommon for us to hear about people talk about certain foods from their childhood or whatever. We call them comfort foods, right? And, and they can bring a measure of comfort. I get that. But, you know, honestly, that piece of chocolate cake is only going to bring you comfort for, what, five or ten minutes max, all right? Um, Think about it. And and there's a lot of things that people try for comfort. There's a a whiskey called Southern Comfort, which can bring you a measure of comfort for a really short time. Um, There's a a fabric softener called Comfort. Uh, Forgive me, I'm not trying to be sexist, and maybe some of you ladies are comforted by fabric softener, but never mind, I'm not going to go there. Um, When you travel, you can stay at Comfort Inn. Or now they have Comfort Suites, which is apparently more comfortable than Comfort Inn. When I fly, some airlines have Comfort Class seating, which is actually pretty cool. I, I, I like that. And, 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 you know, we talk a lot about having a comfort zone. So that whole idea of comfort is pretty common in our culture. Comfort means to make feel better. So if God really is the God of all comfort... If he comforts us, I think that suggests that we need comfort from something. Are you following me? Hannah Whitehall-Smith wrote a book called The God of All Comfort. She also wrote the the, the classic book that you might be familiar with, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. But in The God of All Comfort, she said this, It is easy for us when we are happy and do not need comforting to believe that our God is the God of all comfort. But as soon as we are in trouble and need it, It seems impossible to believe that there can be any comfort for us anywhere. It would almost seem as if in our reading of the Bible, we had reversed its meaning and made it say, not blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted, but blessed are they that rejoice for they and they only shall be comforted. And she's right. You know, we we certainly understand that he is the God of all comfort when everything's going well. We, We can acknowledge that fact, but when things aren't going well, it's a lot harder. Don't play church with me, you guys. And I want us to understand that needing comfort is not a sign of weakness. It's not like some, you know, crazy foreign thing. 
There, there was an, an influential British Protestant preacher at the turn of the 19th into the 20th century. His name was Dr. John Henry Jowett. He pastored large congregations, spoke to thousands of people. He said this, You seem to imagine that I have no ups and no downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. But by no means is this the case. I am so often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky much of the time. I think it sounds like he needs some comfort. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said, I am the subject of depression of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go. Wow. I think maybe he needed some comfort. The Apostle Paul experienced some pretty traumatic times. 2 Corinthians 1, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We wanted out. It was so awful, we just wanted to go home. It would have been the easier path. We despaired of life itself. This doesn't sound pretty, does it? So if you today find yourself in need of comfort or if you have in the past found yourself in need of comfort, if you ever find yourself in need of comfort, it's not some weird, out-of-the-ordinary thing. Everyone gets to that place at times. And so I want to talk about the God of comfort. And I, I said a few minutes ago, if God is offering us comfort, that it suggests that we need comfort from something. And so specifically, I want to look at four different areas today that, that God comforts us in or from, depending on how you look at it. Loneliness, afflictions and trials, fears, specifically fears of the future, and sinfulness. And, and, and please understand, each one of these could easily be a sermon um, I just don't have time to do five sermons in a row, okay? So we're just gonna, I'm gonna condense it. Number one, loneliness. Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. He's not gonna leave us alone. The Holy Spirit, uh, somebody mentioned it earlier this morning, it's called the, the parakletos in, in Greek. It's the, the comforter. And one of the, the Greek root word, the, the, one of the meanings of the Greek root word for, for uh, parakletos, para, means close beside. He's right there. That's why Jesus sent him, to, to be with us all the time. There is a, there's an author, Christian author and mother named Linda Kennedy, not the Linda Kennedy that we know, um, but she, she said that she had believed that she was a Christian. She had kind of gone through her life. She was a good person. But her husband, she started attending a church, and she realized she wasn't a Christian. And, and over time, God kind of just lovingly and gently brought them both to himself. But unfortunately, the day that she gave her heart to the Lord was the same day that their two-year-old son passed away. Linda and her husband Gary have had three sons. Two of them died very prematurely and the third one has cerebral palsy. And she wrote a book a while back entitled The God of All Comfort. Book titles are not copyrightable so she can have the same title as Hannah Whitehall Smith, all right? I haven't read the whole book but I, I, I know that she makes a great statement. She said this, Father God will never leave you alone. Father God will never leave leave you alone. Even in the midst of her difficulty, she recognized that God was right there with her. 
she wasn't alone. The Holy Spirit is always, always close beside us. Maybe, maybe you're like me and you found some encouragement in the, the poem Footprints in the Sand, like the uh, depictions often, you know, two sets of footprints and it goes down to one and the writer is saying, well, God, why did you leave me there? You know the answer, I didn't. That's where I carried you. And oftentimes it can feel like we've been left, but he hasn't. He's right there, always. He is not leaving you or me alone. Psalm 139, verse five, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. I like the, the message translation of this verse. It says, I look behind me and you're there, then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. He's always with us. We have no need to be lonely because God is always there every moment of every day. The Bible refers to God as the father of the fatherless. He's the one who sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who's promised to take up the cause of the widow and the orphan. He promises to never leave us. He promises, I will always be with you. God, the God of all comfort, comforts us by giving us himself by being with us wherever we are. If you're struggling with loneliness today, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Number two, afflictions and trials. God comforts us, comforts us in our afflictions and trials. Uh, if you, like me, are not a history buff, you might not be familiar with the 30 years war was actually uh, primarily fought in Central Europe between 1618 and 1648, hence the name 30 Years' War. Uh, it's one of the, it was one of the longest and most destructive conflicts in the history of the, the world. Uh, think about it, World War I uh, was, what, three years? World War II was maybe four years between, you know, amongst the whole world. This was 30 years. I can't even fathom that. The war resulted in eight million casualties and several uh, a lot of that was actually outside of the war itself some violence that happened as a result of the war not actually part of the war and then famine and plague as a result of the war eight million people died so so think about this during the war there was a pastor named martin rinkert he uh, ministered in saxony germany and he uh said that during that time, that in one day, he did 40 funerals. During his lifetime, he did 4,000 funerals, most of those during the war. I can't, I can't even fathom that. And as one who, who preaches, when you do a funeral, you don't just leave it there. If you're really doing what God has called you to do, you're going into that situation. You're offering comfort. You're praying for those people. It becomes a part of you. You don't just leave it there. You take it with you. And he did 40 in a single day and 4,000 over his lifetime. I can't imagine what that would be like. And yet, in the midst of that devastating experience, Martin Rinkert wrote a prayer, apparently for his children. Many of us here know the words well. Now thank we all our God with heart and hand and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices, 
who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Who, who in the midst of that kind of devastation could write those kind of words? I would suggest that it's only somebody who knew the God of all comfort, who recognized that God was with him even in the midst of those challenging times. Romans 8, 28, we all know this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You know, it says all things work together for good. Not just the, the things that we like. It's whether they're what we think are good things or bad things, happy things or sad things. It doesn't make any difference. This is all things work together. And God is there in the midst of those things, working those things together and offering us in the midst of those things his comfort, comforting us in the midst of it. Back to Hannah Smith and the God of all comfort. In that book, I read that book for preparation for this message, by the way, in case you'll, you'll hear it keep coming up. Um, she, she tells the story of a friend of hers who uh, often helped out people in need. And so this, this woman went to visit an African-American woman, and, then, and please understand, this is not contemporary. This is you know, many years ago that this was written, all right? But it was a, a, one of the poorest neighborhoods in Philadelphia. She had been told that the, the lady was in need, and so she went to see what she could do. And she, what she found, she said, was even worse than what she imagined. Um, lady was very elderly, was, was crippled with rheumatism, lived in a single, very small room. And from the, 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 the Hannah's friend's perspective, the occasional help that she got from a generous neighbor really didn't fully meet her needs anywhere close. But at the same time, what she found there was this woman was really upbeat and joyful and thankful. And so the, the, Hannah's friend was kind of you know, in a quandary here. So she asked, do you ever get frightened at the thought of what may happen to you all alone here and, and so lame as you are? And the, the, the elderly African-American woman kind of looked at her, and in and, and, and Hannah Smith's words, she's, she responded in a tone of utmost amazement. She said, frightened? Why, honey, doesn't you know I've got a father, and doesn't you know he takes care of me the whole enduring time? And then Hannah Smith wrote this. And then as my friend looked perplexed, she added in a tone of wondering reproof, why, honey, surely my father is your father too, and you knows about him, and you knows he always takes care of his chillins. Yes, he does. Even in the midst of difficult times that she was facing, she knew the God of all comfort, and she knew he was with her, regardless of what it looked like. 2 Corinthians 1, we already read the, the verse 3 here, but I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to, be, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort Two, you know, this section of scripture is often used to help us to understand why we go through difficult times. It's so that when we have experienced the comfort that God grants to us in those difficult times, that we can then pass that along to others. And I get that. That's a good lesson for us to learn. We need to understand that. But I want us to understand the, the underlying aspect of that whole thing in order to pass that comfort along to others, we need to recognize that there is a 
father of mercies, a God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. It's that through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort. Yeah, we can comfort other people, but first we have to recognize that there is a God of all comfort, that he's the one who comforts us, that we have received that comfort ourselves. The, the, the preacher that I mentioned earlier that uh, his little girl found the ladybug, he told in that same message a story about when he was in college and his father passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, even violently. And he said this, God surrounded me with a sweet community of believers who loved me through this situation. They were smart enough to know there was nothing they could do to fix the situation. They weren't offering trite phrases. They weren't just offering anything to try to fix it. They were just sitting there and saying, hey, I have no idea how to walk you through this, but what I can tell you is God is able and you need to keep pressing into him. In time, I found it to be true. Not that it didn't hurt anymore, not that I wasn't still angry and frustrated about the situation, but what I found was God was able. What would happen in the next year would be through the ministry I worked with, I would end up mentoring three guys who would lose their fathers, one to diabetes, one to cancer, and another to cardiac arrest. My suffering was not arbitrary. For whatever reason, it was part of God's story for me to walk through. The men that I work with, the comfort I had received, I'd be able to pass on to them. I'd be able to show them, hey, I don't have any easy answers for you. I can't fix your difficulties. I can't make it better. But I can lead you to a God who is able in every and all circumstances, in every and all darkness, in every and all struggle to comfort you in the middle of that moment. Yeah, that's the God that we serve. 2 Corinthians 1, 4, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Great story I came across in preparation for this message. A young man named Douglas Maurer, 15 years old. He had been sick for a few days temperature fluctuating between 103 and 105. That sounds pretty serious to me. His mom finally took him to the hospital and many, many tests later, they diagnosed Douglas Maurer as having leukemia. And the doctor, as seems necessary today because of the lawsuit crazy society we live in, um, was particularly blunt in giving the diagnosis and the treatment. You're gonna need chemotherapy. It's probably gonna make all your hair fall out, just what a teenage boy wants to hear. And it's probably gonna make your body bloat. And he's just getting you know, one bad news after another and he goes into this state of, of deep depression. And his aunt wants to at least offer him a bit of comfort. She wants to send him some flowers. So she calls a local florist and orders some flowers to be sent to him there at the hospital. And she tells the gal that takes the order that it's for her nephew who has leukemia. And so the flowers arrive at the hospital and they're nice and the note from the, the aunt is thoughtful from Douglas's perspective. But then he notices that there's a second card and it said this. Douglas, I took your order. I work at Bricks Florist. I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm 22 years old now. Best wishes, my heart goes out to you sincerely. Laura Bradley. When he read that card, his face lit up 
as though somebody had just breathed new life into him. Think about this. He's laying in a hospital room surrounded by tens of thousands of dollars worth of medical equipment being helped by medical experts and not one of those things could help him the way that that note from a young lady at a florist did. God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The God of all comfort promises us in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. Yeah, we're going to go through difficult times, but you know what? We have a Savior who has overcome the world. There's comfort there. Thirdly, God comforts us from our fears, especially fears of the future. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Young's literal translation says, I have no lack. Many biblical scholars say it should be, I shall not be in want. I'm not going to be in need of anything that I really have need of. God's going to take care of me. Hannah Smith in her book, The God of All Comfort. I believe I read the 23rd Psalm as though it was written, the Lord is the sheep and I am the shepherd and if I do not keep a tight hold on him, he will run away. When dark days came, I never for a moment thought that he would stick by me. And when my soul was starving and cried out for food, I never dreamed he would feed me. I see now that I never looked upon him as a faithful shepherd at all. But now all is different. I myself am not one bit better or stronger, but I have discovered that I have a good shepherd and that is all I need. I see now that it really is truly that the Lord is my shepherd and that I shall not want. I want to look at those five words, the Lord is my shepherd, and I want to emphasize each one just individually just to kind of get a glimpse of what this really is. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, there's a recurring theme in, Psalm, or excuse me, in Isaiah 45. I am the Lord, there is no other. I am the Lord, there is no other. You know, contrary to Mormon doctrine, there is only one. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the only true shepherd. Not your earthly mother or your father, not your grandparents, not your spouse, not your significant other, not your dog, certainly not your cat. Sorry. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, I love the fact that word is always in the present tense. Yeah, it's good for us to recognize that God has been our shepherd before in the past and that he will continue to be our, our shepherd into the future. That's great for us to know. But, you know, when you need comfort, you need to know that he is your shepherd right now. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That is so significant for us. You know, we look around at other people and we're grateful for the, that he's with them, but we need to know that he's with us. Yes, he is Jim's shepherd. Yes, he is Bashira's shepherd over in India. Yes, he is Alonzo's shepherd in Brazil, but he's also my shepherd right now. He is my shepherd. He's the one who takes care of me. And he is my shepherd. Shepherd. What's the job of the shepherd? He's the one who takes care of the sheep. He's the one who provides for them, finds them place to, to, to live and eat. He's the one who moves them ahead. He's the one that protects them. Think about it. If the God of the universe 
is our shepherd. What do we need to worry about? Could there, could there possibly ever be a better shepherd than that? No. I love the fact that Moses, when, when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? And in essence, what's your name? God said, I am. And I know most of you know this. It's kind of that open-ended, like the incomplete name. I am. And for us today, there's two, I think, really significant things here. One, we can fill that in with I am your comfort. That's a legit way from a scriptural perspective to use that name. I, God says, I am your comfort. I want to be the comforter for you. But along with that, God is saying, fill in the blank. What do you need? You need strength? You need hope? You need wisdom? You need courage? Whatever. I am your strength. I am your hope. I am your wisdom. I am your peace. I am your courage. Whatever it is that you need. There's comfort in recognizing that. He has promised, I am. Psalm 42 is a psalm of lament primarily. There are words like, my tears have been my food. My soul is cast down within me. My adversaries say, where is your God? This doesn't sound pretty. This is not a, a happy psalm. And maybe there have been times in your life that you felt like that. I've seen them in mine. But in the middle of that psalm, there's a great verse, verse eight. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me. At night, his song is with me. When do you get most fearful of the future? Future? Most of the time at night. You know, when our kids were younger and even now with our grandkids, there's times that my wife will take one that's fussing and hold them pat them, and sing them a lullaby. And oftentimes that fussing just kind of ceases and they're asleep before they realize it. There's a comfort in that caring and that lullaby. At night, his song is with me. It's what God wants to do with you and with me to bring us that comfort. And I shared a Several weeks ago, I shared a message about God being outside of time and that he is already there in the future. He's already seen the future. What are you worried about? He's right there. He's waiting for you. He's got everything under control. That's the God of all comfort. Number four, sinfulness. He comforts us in that. Isaiah 40, Warren shared it, part of it earlier. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to, to Jerusalem and cry to her for her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Why? Why is her warfare ended? Why is her iniquity pardoned? It's because of what the Son of God did, or in this case was going to do. It's all the same from God's perspective. He's outside of time, right? Um, the, these guys were looking forward to it. We're looking back on it the same and the message is the same the outcome is comfort comfort my people speak tenderly to them let them know that their 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 warfare with me is ended their iniquity is pardoned God's forgiven us Psalm 103 he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love 
toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions. Brothers and sisters, they're gone. Beginning of this year, I preached a message about the God who restores and redeems and renames and resurrects. And if you remember, I told you that you have a new name in Christ. You are not forsaken. You are not an idiot. You are not abandoned. You are not passed over. You are not any of those negative things that you or others have said about you. No, in Christ, you have a new identity. You are his child. You are his heir. You are his beloved. You are his delight. You are his friend. You are his son, his daughter. And he loves you more than you can possibly begin to imagine. It's possible that there may be times that you find the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life to be unsettling. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. And when that conviction comes, it might not feel so much like comfort as the opposite. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But think about it like this. Suppose you're at a a formal dinner party and you get some sauce on your cheek and you don't realize it. And several hours later when you get home, you look in the mirror. Uh Uh-oh. Wouldn't it be better to have a faithful friend right there who leans over and whispers and says, hey, let me take care of this for you. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, guys. That's what he's doing in our lives. That's what he's wanting from us. God's not out to get you. Your warfare with him has already ended. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The gospel, the fact that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his own son to die in your place to take your punishment upon himself. The, 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 the comfort of that gospel is so profound that the writers of the Westminster Catechism say that it's not just a comfort for us, not just one of many. They refer to it as our only comfort. And I think they've got a point. Without us being reconciled to God, without the the gospel, then any other comfort we get is pretty insignificant, honestly. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what he's saying. Don't run away, run to me. Because of what Jesus has done, we have a hope that's eternal. Your sin is paid for. Your enmity with God has been eradicated. Your warfare with him is over. And that eternity that we have waiting for us is far better than anything that you and I can imagine here and now. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So God comforts us in our loneliness, in our trials and afflictions, 
in our fears and from our sinfulness. Let me, let me start to wrap this up. If you want to really see the comforting heart of God, if you will, there are some amazing passages in Isaiah 40, 41, and 42. Isaiah 40, 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. You know, so often people have this picture of God like he's the, the vengeful, hateful, ready to strike out at you. How do you read that passage and get that? No, he's the God who wants to gently take care of you and love you and cause you to know his comfort, his care, his compassion. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to help you. He wants to uphold you. That's his heart. That's the God of all comfort. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Isaiah 42.3. You know, there may be somebody here today, you feel like that faintly burning wick it's kind of smoldering, wondering whether it's going to go out at any second. And there have been times where you feel like God has even been blowing on it, trying to blow it out. But that's not what he's doing. He's trying to fan that into flame. He is not going to put out that faintly burning wick. No, he wants to come alongside you and offer you his comfort, his mercy, his love. One more quote from Hannah Smith, the God of all comfort. She said this, has the kingdom of God been over-advertised or is it only that we have, it has been underbelieved? Has the Lord Jesus Christ been overestimated, or has he only been under-trusted? Wow, what a statement. Promise after promise after promise tells us that he is with us that he is for us, that he's not against us, that he cares for us, that he's going to be with us in whatever we do. How do we not trust a comforting God like that? Let's pray. Lord, we know that you are indeed the God of all comfort, that you want to comfort us in our loneliness, in our afflictions, in our trials, in our fears, even in our sinfulness. Lord, forgive us for under-trusting you, for not having the confidence in you that you want us to. But God, we ask that we would see here today, anew and afresh, your comfort at work within our hearts, within our lives. O oh God of all comfort, Bring comfort where it is needed today in whatever way that was ne is necessary. And we trust you to do it. Amen.